Hello and welcome to Spirit Pig. Inspired by the mission, 7 billion fulfilled people, I track down the greatest thought leaders on the planet and interview them about happiness and fulfillment. Today I'm speaking with Kevin Kelly. Kevin is the co-founder of Wired Magazine. He is a New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author of titles such as The Inevitable, which explores 12 technological forces which will shape our future, as well as his best-selling New Rules for the New Economy, Out of Control, and What Technology Wants. He is behind visionary organizations such as the All Species Foundation, a non-profit aimed at cataloging and identifying every living species on Earth. He's championed projects that look back, that look, sorry, 10,000 years into the future at the Long Now Foundation, as well as investigating how to revive and restore endangered or extinct species such as the woolly mammoth. And I'm just scratching the surface of those things. So, Kevin, thank you so much for being here. I'm looking forward to this one. It's really my pleasure. Thanks for having me. More and more of the things that we find valuable weigh less and less. So more and more of the things that we find valuable don't have any weight or mass. What do you mean by that? The Industrial Revolution, which has produced all the things that probably surround us, wherever we are um, listening to this right now, the built infrastructure, houses, cities, were all made by the Industrial Revolution, which was the rearrangement of atoms, of physical matter. And that revolution has already happened. That's We're kind of we're already through that. And so... Um, most of what we are creating of wealth today is much more about the intangible rather than the tangible atoms. It's about the the ways the, in which those things are arranged, those atoms. It's the relationships that we have with each other. It's our relationship with knowledge and information. All these things are intangible, and more and more of what we produce is, is uh, concerned about the design, which is an intangible, is concerned about meaning, which is an intangible, is concerned about happiness, which is an intangible, and fulfillment, which is an intangible. So we've moved away from the major work being um, rearranging physical atoms, and now we're talking about the intangible relationships. Do you think that's a, a positive thing, or is it, is it neither one or the other? It's just different. I think it's a positive thing. I think that um, for much of human history, before the invention of science, people didn't have enough to eat. I mean, the average person on the planet was struggling to get enough to eat. And that was just Malthusian, Darwinian pressure, meaning that any population would always breed until the moment where it was right on the edge of having enough to eat. And... Um, what science did is allowed us to actually make uh, surplus food and to control our population. So, so we live in a world now where everybody generally has potential to have enough to eat and uh, or clothing, uh, you know, physical shelter. So, so we have basically solved that problem. Not for everybody, it's a distribution problem, but we have the capability of, of really literally having a 100% solution to that problem. And so now we get to move on to another challenge, a higher challenge, which is let's be fulfilled now that we're fed and happy. Your optimism is rooted in the fact that for over 200 years, every year has just got a little bit better. And that's if we look at the scientific evidence. So... Do you think that is 
also choose our like our psychology do you think like our mental health or do you do you think that's a different category in itself like um when when describing that that's a good point. I, I, I think if you look at the scientific evidence again for progress, it's very, very real, but it's mostly measuring um, these like GDP uh, and like education, con- concrete things. Right. It's not measuring the intangibles and we don't have good measurements even today. And we certainly don't have good historical data on this and so the the concern which is legitimate right now is um well yes you know physically as as animals we are provided for and and we're living better than we ever have in terms of uh longevity security safety rights and all these other things um all being um better than it was before but what about our inner spirit are we any better there and if you look at suicide rates and stuff you might say and we're not Um, and I think that there are probably other measurements that we aren't doing that if we could figure out how to do um, we might have a mixed record on how we're doing internally with this transformation um, you know, whether we're more anxious whether I mean right now it's, it's been a long understood that our kids are um, that we're more afraid. So even though even though the world is safer for most people, we're now more afraid than ever. We have more fears. We're much more anxious. And so um, I think um, part of this is because um, we have moved into this world of intangibles. Um, we have a lot of disagreement on what it is that is valuable and what it is that actually we see because there's no doubt if you have a concrete building then it's there and everybody can kind of agree on yeah it's this high it's this big it does this but when you have things that are much more intangible and and and, and relation everything is subjective uh much more subjective everything is much more um difficult to even perceive and so we have a lot of disagreement about even the nature of the reality of this which makes it very hard to um to manage to 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 um prove that we're have any um improvement and even uh, to have an agreement on what the general direction is or what the direction has been and so i think um what we're moving to or what we will have to move to is um a world where we take these very hard to quantify very hard to even describe qualities um and make them important um and um begin to have a conversation of how do we measure them how do we what do do we have a consensus on what they are and do we have a consensus on what direction we want them to to be going in so so uh, so i think your question highlights the fact that um we're in a world where um, our vocabulary is very poor we don't have very much consensus um and so trying to move things in a certain direction is really, really hard because of the lack of those things. In the long term, it's the optimists who decide the future. So right. wh- why, why is that? Why is it the optimist as opposed to like the pessimist, the realists? Why is the optimist decide the future? There's a couple of reasons. One is generally it's very, very difficult to accomplish something unless you have a vision of it. So um, to, to, to really make a, you know, a new thing whether you are um, just a, a writer or an inventor, 
You kind of have to have a conception of it. You have to perceive it first. And then from there, to actually work on it and make it happen, you have to kind of believe that it's possible and that it's, it's, it's going to be better because otherwise you won't do it. You'll just give up. So so it's it's the people who really believe in this better world, this better thing that make it happen because the work involved is so difficult and it's you're overcoming so many odds um, that anyone else would give up. The pessimists would just give up. And so what happens is that all the good things, and if you look back in retrospect, all the good things were made by people who generally believed, genuinely believed that doing it was going to make the world better. Utopia is kind of an idea that pretty much no one believes in anymore. However, like I, I really enjoyed hearing you speak about um, a better vision of the future that we actually can get behind and that we can believe in, this idea of a, a protopia. Just to anyone who hasn't heard that before, what what is a protopia? Why is that different? Yeah, so as you said, people, People have heard the term utopia, which is a kind of a, a state of um, optimal betterment, right? It's it's um, it's it's a a, a place where uh, problems are have been minimized, and um, uh, you know, in in some versus kind of a heavenly place in the sense that uh, um, we we there there there's more far more good than bad. And I, and I think that that is um, very unlikely and kind of almost um, impossible. And in some ways, also kind of a dangerous idea that um, we could ever get to, to that kind of a place. I, I think a more re, uh, realistic vision of, of the future, and even our own present, is that um, new technologies and new things create almost as many new problems as solutions, and so that today, um, all the most of the problems we have today have been created by um, previous inventions in the past, and that the good stuff that we're inventing today, the internet and all the other things, are going to make the problems of the future. So that the future is not a problemless state. There are as many problems, but those problems are have solutions themselves, and those solutions will generate new problems. And so there is this never-ending um, cascade of problems and solutions and problems and solutions. And you would say, well, what do we get out of that except more? And what we get out of it, though, is that we get an incremental betterment. So while there seem to be almost as many problems and solutions, I think the evidence shows over history that there is a small very tiny difference of slightly more better than good. So if we can create 51% good while we destroy and eliminate and create 49% bad, right? So even if, even if almost half the world is crap and half of what we do is terrible, if we can have one or two percent more that's good, that is compounded over decades, centuries, that is civilization. Civilization is just a one percent betterment per year, which one percent, you can't see one percent. One percent is invisible, right? You look around, it's like, I, I don't see the difference. I think most of the world is crap. Well, not quite. 
most of the, the world is a little bit better, but not by very much. And that not by very much turns out to be the crucial thing. That's that 1% compounded is what civilization is. So we can still be making 49% crap, but we make 51% better. So that tiny little difference. And the reason why I believe that we're still doing it is because look back in history and that is the evidence. The evidence is that there's a tiny, tiny bit. So I'm an optimist, but I'm not by much. But that turns out to be all that you need. What's interesting about what you just said is, so I, I totally buy into that, but it, what, what, what it involves is long-term thinking and being able to look at sure. the big picture. And so I think, I, I think that's fantastic. But then how is that? Because if society at the moment is pushing in the short-term thing, so everything is about instant gratification. So, you know, you want a date, swipe, you've got a date, you know, you want a car, Uber. So if everything is pushing in the, the instant, 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 and then we're saying, but guys, everyone look at the big picture, look at long-term as in, this is, it's just an interest, an interesting um, juxtaposition where like everything we're doing is about the now, 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 but I totally buy into that idea of betterment, but it does require somewhat of like a, a zooming out long-term picture thinking, doesn't it? It does. And, and that's one of the reasons why I'm involved again in this long-term thinking foundation we call long now, which is trying to expand the now beyond the last five minutes, the next five minutes. We say, what about the last 5,000 years, the next 5,000 years? That's a longer time to think about. And uh, if you do that, 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 that really helps, but that is civilizational view. And, and, the, the the advantages of civilizational view is is that it can give you more fulfillment and meaning in your lives because people I think in general become fulfilled when they are working on something bigger than themselves and the one of the many problems of the short now is that it's very very um, selfish right you're, you're it's very hard to think about others and things bigger in yourself if you're thinking about the next five minutes and the last five minutes. And so um, part of the process of expanding your sense of time is you also expand your sense of who you are and what you are about. Um, and um, if you can do that, you can find more meaning in your life because our own lives are so small and short that it's very hard to find meaning in just them we find meaning by connecting with something much bigger than ourselves. And for some people, that's religion. That's about God. For others, that may be the universe or the arc of uh, life throughout. So there's something bigger going on. And if we can become part of that, if we can see ourselves as an instrument, see ourselves as part of that arc, then we, have, we become bigger. And we have more meaning, and um, uh, it's easier to become fulfilled. And so I, I think that long now perspective, that long-term thinking is healthy in many, many ways. And it's very, very important for the society as a whole because it is a bigger than, this, than an individual. And it, rec it needs people to think about things on a generational scale. You, there, there may be really good things to do that may require more time than we have in our own lives. It may require several generations to complete. You know, I mean, the the kind of railway network and things that we've made. You know, 
over time, they've been added to, so the, uh, uh, accumulated, so we can say, well, it took more than one generation. But in fact, a lot of it was built during the life of one person. But we, we, we are now at the stage where we can make things that might require, like, going to Mars or uh, solving the climate problem. This is going to take a generations to do, and um, when we embark on those things – we can be more fulfilled because we are connecting with something much bigger than ourselves. Tell me about centaurs. So the team of AI plus a human is much more effective than either one alone, because I guess there's been a somewhat scaremongering in terms of, you know, everyone's worried about, you know, the coming AI, you know, robots, stealing jobs, taking jobs. But actually, that's that's almost looking at wrong. It's, it's, it's the team, actually. That's that's where the real power lies, isn't it? Yeah. So 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 if we want to talk about, um, you know, the next 50, 100 years, the 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 major technological event in general in broadest strokes is going to be this artificial intelligence and all the many variations of it we don't even have all the words for right now what's going to happen i mean we're talking you know even in the next five or ten years but if we go 50 years 100 years this is still be going on for a very very long time so we are going to we're making other kinds of intelligences and the thing i always want to emphasize about that is the long-term agenda in, in general with this new field of invention is that we're going to make many species of thinking a whole zoo of different kinds of minds none of them are like human minds and that's their benefit that's the chief benefit is that they think differently and so rather than replacing humans these are we're going to be working they're going to be working together because the way we think they can't think like we do so they need our type of thinking we need their type of thinkings thinkings plural and um so i think while most ai is going to be invisible to us it's going to be low level smartness that we're not even aware of we don't care about there will be lots of ais that will be front facing that we will have to interact with that have some degree of intelligence some degree of consciousness some degree of creativity but our relationship to them is going to be working with them, relating to them, maybe is a better word. And so um, uh, in many cases, that will there will be teams of human plus AIs, which in the emerging vocabulary is called centaurs, half horse, half human. And they, as a team, will be smarter than either humans alone or AIs alone. And we already see that in chess. We see that in um, robo-soldiers. We see that probably in Go, where the world champ, the best in the world, is not an AI, it's not a robot, it's not a human, it's the team together. And so I think that relationship or those kinds of relationships are going to be where we're headed to over the long term. And Part of um, what we get out of that as humans is that we actually become better ourselves. There's many ways that that's already happening, but let's go back to the chess example where two decades ago, the world's biggest supercomputer, um, Deep Blue, beat Gary Kasparov, the chess champ. And um, a lot of people thought, well, you know, chess is over, right? I mean, like 
why would you ever play at all? And why would you ever play as a champion? Would you ever be a professional when the, the, the computers can beat you? And so what happened was almost the opposite. Having computerized chess increased the number of people playing chess by many, many fold because now they could play against anybody. And I, I, I walked by a little tiny hamlet in a kind of a slum part of, of Indonesia, and there was um, a little girl playing chess with a computer. All right? And so um, anybody could really become good now because they could play it on their phone just about. They could have a really good chess player play them and teach them uh, anywhere in the world. So now there's more chess being played, and the highest-ranking chess masters today are higher ranked than they've ever been before. They're better chess players than ever been before because they've been playing chess against computers. Because chess, computers, the, the computers opened up whole new ways to play chess. And that's exactly the very first thing that happened with the guy who lost Go to AlphaGo, Google AlphaGo just last year. Okay, they thought mm, chess computers would never play Go. It's much too human, it's much more intuitive. Okay, he lost. But almost immediately after losing, they realized, oh my gosh, there's a whole other way of playing this game that we no human had ever thought of. The, the AI was playing the game in an entirely different way, and now it's like opened up a whole new way to play Go. So now we're better human Go players than ever before. And that has repeated itself again and again, where the AIs are going to help us humans become better humans. Building on that idea is that when um, technology today is giving us the opportunity to define what humans are for. Mm. So that each time, mm. say we make a robot or AI that does something that humans used to do, it makes us think, okay, shit. Um, so what, what are we good for? Like, why sure. that, that, that's important. You think, cause that, is that, is that just in terms of this constant, I don't know, raising, rising to the challenge evolution? Like why, why the fact that we have to keep on defining like who exactly we are? Why is that? Why is that a positive? Sure. It's, it's positive because, because one of the ideas that we have, one of the big disruptions in our own history as humans has been the discovery in the last, I don't know, maybe 100 years, that in fact, we humans have invented our humanness, right? Our humanity. We have, our, our humanity is our first te technology. We uh, humans are the first animals that we domesticated. We, we, we domesticated ourselves. And so we have invented our humanity and it's not done. So, so we're in the process of continuing that. So once we realized that humanity itself was in flux and something that was not received, it was not sacred in that sense of a fixed thing, that it actually is something that we invented ourselves and it's malleable. And then once you have this idea that it's malleable, then you have the bigger challenge, not of like becoming a good human, but of asking, well, what are humans good for and what kind of humans should we become? So, so this is a, we've opened a much bigger game, a much, it's the infinite game because there's no winners and losers. It's not like, well, if you're a good human, you win. If you're a bad human, you lose <laughs> you're heaven and hell. No, we're saying this is a much bigger game. This is an infinite game. We're here playing. We want as many people to play and we want this game to go on as long as possible. And, 
the way you don't play to the rules, you keep inventing the rules. And so um, this infinite game of being open-ended and we are now in the process of deciding what we want as humans, what we want humanity to be, is, is very similar to our own lives as individuals, which is, um, you know, it's like not whether you are a good person or not. It's like, well, what kind of a person do you want to be? You have a lot more choice in that, even though our own family conditions, our own genetics, our own social economic levels, all these have constraints on us that are very, very real. Despite all that, we still have a huge amount of choice and opportunity in our lives no matter where we are. We still have choices about how we want to be given those constraints that we have. And what civilization has done is kept opening up or moving those restraints more and more. And so that if we do benefit from civilization, we have a lot more room to choose from, more choices. That's what technology gives us is more choices, more opportunities. And as we open up, we have more and more ways to become a human and more and science and technology gives us more and more choices so that we have not just, you know, a thousand occupations to choose from. Or in the old days, there were like three occupations to choose from. You could be a farmer or a farmer's wife or, or, you know, a shoemaker. Now we have millions of things to choose from and we're going to have billions of, of, of things to choose from. And so that means that this choice, these choices of deciding what it is that we want to be, what it is that we want to move to, become more and more important. And that's the kinds of, of things that we kind of started off talking about, that um, we don't really have good metrics, good vocabulary to, to help us guide through that process. Right now, what are you most excited about? I am most excited by AI um, because I think it's going to literally touch every aspect of our lives in a way that even artificial power and energy and automation and the industrial revolution touched all our lives. But this is going to be plus a thousand. I mean, I think it really will touch all of our lives from retail sports education military religion everything and um uh it, it, it we're just at the very dawn of that um and it's going to be a very very long process um and i think it really is kind of a singularity of a soft kind i don't believe in the hard version but there's a soft kind in the sense that even if we and i think the idea of a superhuman ai is a myth but even without that, there is a sense in which we are going to have great difficulty in seeing what's coming. And that's really the ultimate definition of the singularity is, is that there's this event horizon that you can't see beyond. And I think there is a sense in which um, what is coming is going to be very, very hard for us to appreciate right now. And so, um, And so I am excited by that because I think – in part, we get to redefine who we are and what we want to be individually as well as collectively. And I really believe that the as a, as a civilization level, as, as a planet, 
we are just at the beginning of planetary phenomena. You know, um, I, I think very soon, not thousands of years, not hundreds of years, not even maybe in terms of decades or less, we are going to have the tools that will allow us to have a million people collaborate on something in real time. Okay, so we're going to do something in the millions and maybe tens of millions, maybe it's hundreds of millions together in real time. That's never happened on the planet before. That's just before us. That's going to be amazing. And if people are going to be shocked the first time it happens. Um, there was a little uh, April Fool's joke performance on Reddit where they had a million people push, pushing pixels around in 72 hours. So they had a million people that were kind of cooperating, competing, but there were a million people in real time doing something. It was completely frivolous. It was just a complete waste of time, but it proved that that was the power that we're going to be unleashing, and I'm very, very excited by that. On the flip side then, what are you most concerned about? I'm most concerned about the fact that we're connecting everybody to everybody else 24 hours a day, and two things. It makes it very hard to think differently. When you're connected to everybody else all the time, you have kind of a large group think. So that's the downside of that kind of being connected to everybody and collaborating. Um, we have to, and that's one of the reasons why I think AI, artificial intelligence that are human, are going to be valuable because they think differently. They help us think differently. And the second thing that we have from that is the, the security and conflict aspects and the weaponization aspects of that are of great concern. And they're great concern because um, they're not, we don't have consensus on what's bad. We don't have good practices and we don't even have transparency and uh, accountability. So the U.S., Russia, China are all doing very offensive, uh, uh, offensive tactics, um, with cyber warfare, cyber conflict, and nobody acknowledges them, um, and we have no consensus about what's acceptable or not. So, so we have a new power, kind of a planetary cyber power, but we don't have any real um, rules about what's acceptable. And then as we weaponize AI, which I'm sure we, we will do, we've never had a technology we haven't weaponized, um, that's opening up a whole new thing. Again, it's like, it needs to be regulated, but we have no consensus on what needs to be regulated or how we could possibly regulate it. And so, um, I think you know, my fear is that we'll take some real bad disaster before um, they'll come together. And we need a kind of a world governance, right? We can't we can't really govern this planetary AI without some kind of planetary governance and. Planetary governance is something that freaks out the left, it freaks out the right, it freaks out everybody, but I think it's going to be necessary. I think that the natural state of the world, of civilization, is that it will always, always be easier to break a window than to fix a window, right? I mean, so it's always easier to break something than it is to build something new. So that asymmetry will always exist. So there was, there will always, always be a little easier to come up with a new crime than with a new solution. 
So the bad guys, so to speak, will always will always be a little ahead, and we were always uh, in terms of the ease of things. But civilization is built on the fact that um, we, you know, we keep mending the holes and the tears, and um, that mending, that repair, introduces a no another vulnerability, which someone will take it, and so. These are these, but these. This is the engine of of our innovation and our prosperity. So um, problems pro- propel progress, I think. And so, so we're not going to be without the problems. They're going to be eternal. Um, we're, we're not going to solve it. It's, it's, we're never going to rest. In that sense. Um, but I think the um, the exciting part is is that we get more and more choices and possibilities um, out of this. And um, uh, Yes, cybercrime, in a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, they'll have the same, they'll have the same worries that, oh my gosh, um, they keep coming up with new things. We can't keep up. Well, we can keep up, but you're never going to get ahead. What is one thing our listeners can start doing today that have a positive impact on their lives? There are two, two bits. One, one, I'm just going to repeat something that Jeff Bezos said he learned from his grandmother, Jeff Bezos, of course, being the founder of Amazon and probably one of the, if not the richest guy in the world, very close. And he says his grandmother taught him this lesson. He said, Jeff, it's better to be kind than right. All right? So I, I, I think that um, life is short, um, that it's better to be kind than right. Um, it would be one thing one action that I would think I would encourage people. And and the second more long-term um, view is um, I think you want to, uh, I, I think as you go through life, what you're looking for are doing the things that nobody else would do and Part of the way that you can get there is by giving away your ideas as much as possible. Because if you can give away an idea, that means that someone else could do that idea, and that was not an idea for you. You want to do the things that you've tried to give away and have other people do, but nobody wants. You want want the good ideas that you can't give away because that – means that no one else is going to do them. So there's a generosity that actually is very selfish in a certain sense. Um, So try to give away all the good stuff and the things that no one else would do that are really good ideas, those are the ones that are for you. Kevin, thank you so, so much for coming on today. Where can we send people? KK.org? Is that the best place? That is the best place, and and these days I have a little free one-page newsletter every week, every Sunday. We send out six really brief recommendations of great stuff to uh, see, to watch, to listen to, to read, great tools, great destinations that are uh, highly recommended. So we have six recommendations called Recommendo with one M, recommendo.com, a little uh, six brief recommendations every Sunday. So sign up for that. Amazing. If you go to spiritpeer.com, all the links will be underneath the interview. So Kevin, thank you so, so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Best to everybody.